0: We are in the book of 2 Timothy. This is part three. Part three of our journey through this book begins right now. Paul is writing this letter sometime between 65 and 67 AD from a Roman dungeon. Things are not going well. It is not a very popular time to be a Christian in this part of the world. And he writes to a young man that he knows very closely, a man named Timothy, a spiritual son in the faith, that he loves very much, that he has disciple, that he has poured into. And the theme of this story, which if you like taking notes, you always want to write down themes, is persevering in the faith despite suffering. It's a call for Timothy to to persevere in his faith, despite suffering. And so we begin in verse 13. Timothy implied here. Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in christ jesus timothy i want you to follow the pattern or another word standard or example of the sound words that you have heard from me i've taught you some things i want you to hang on to those things i want you to follow that christians you want to persevere in your faith In keeping with the theme of the story? You want to avoid sitting on the sidelines and floating? Well, here's one of the ways that you can do that. Follow the pattern of the sound words. Hold fast to the teachings of Paul and, and of Scripture. But therein lies the challenge. John MacArthur says it like this, and quite well. Many Christians, perhaps most, do not have the courage of their convictions. Many Christians, perhaps most, do not have the courage of their convictions simply because they have no clear convictions. We want to follow the pattern and teaching of Paul and of Scripture. The problem is it becomes very difficult to do this when we don't know Scripture in the first place. How are we supposed to follow the pattern, the example, the standard of Scripture when we don't know it? It amazes me. I meet Muslims and Mormons who take their faith more seriously than many, if not most, Christians who know their holy books better than most Christians. I had a a mentor once say how great it would be if for every one of us who is a Christian if we knew as many bible verses as we are old. So if you're 18, you know 18 bible verses and if you're 45, you know 45 bible verses. Not a daunting task at all. I it's Reason to say you could easily memorize one verse a month in a fraction of the time that you spend on your Xbox or PlayStation or Hulu or Netflix. Hard to follow that pattern. Hard to follow the teaching of Scripture when we don't know Scripture. This couldn't be more evident. Then I think when it comes to what we call modern-day evangelism. And getting people saved becomes nothing more than just getting them to say the prayer. If you've been here, I'm not a big fan of the prayer. And I grew up saying the prayer every time I had a chance, just to make sure it stuck the first time. But that's really what modern-day evangelism has turned into. We just get someone to say a prayer. I've heard people lead people in a prayer and never once mention the gospel. That's a problem. No. We need to give people. We need to give them the gospel. The blood-bought, blood-saturated, life, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we need to give people. We do you not know that people are dying and going to hell. Maybe people in this very room Follow the pattern, follow the example of the sound words, Timothy, that I've taught you. Christians, church, follow the example and teachings of scripture. Ah, but that's the problem. Because we know so little of what God's word says. Other than maybe John three 16, We're not doing too hot. Next Sunday, I didn't announce this, but it's in your bulletin. We have a a membership class. We don't do these often. It's at my house at at 2.15 to 3.45, so it gets done before the the service starts at 4.30. And one of the reasons we we do the membership class, and I should say it's a a really no-pressure thing. You don't become a member because you come to the class, but you get to learn more about the church. One of the things we go over in that membership class is what the church believes. Some of you, you've been coming here, Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've been coming here for a few weeks, and you have no idea. You just assume that we're a biblical church. You have no idea if I'm a a wolf in sheep's clothes. I could be. How frightening would that be? We don't know. We're apathetic. I don't care. Whatever. We need to know what the Bible says. And it just becomes more and more clear that we just would prefer to be on the sidelines and float in our own little neat version of Christianity that doesn't cause us any inconvenience to ourselves and to actually do what verse 13 says. Some of you guys have heard the story I've told about, young guy told me about church in Lynchburg. He said, what do you think? I'm thinking about going here was anything personal and i said all right well i'm on the website i don't see anything about what they believe and he said oh that's weird so we asked the, the leader or pastor i don't know and he got back to me he said well they purposely don't put what they believe on, on their website or, or anywhere they don't they don't have like a statement of beliefs i said why not he said well because they don't want to be divisive and i said don't go to that church don't want to be divisive i said don't go i don't normally come across that severe except maybe when i'm preaching i suppose i said don't go don't go we need to know what we believe so we don't or we make excuses and one of the excuses that i absolutely hate i hate it i have been guilty of this but you know the typical well When I get to heaven, then I'll know. I'll ask Jesus all the questions, and 9 out of 10 times, when people say that, you know, you've heard people say it before, maybe you've said it. When I get to heaven, then I'll ask Jesus about all these Bible questions. 9 out of 10 times, you know what that is? It's an excuse for us not to open this book, because there is other things we'd rather be doing with our time. Timothy, I want you to follow this pattern. I want you to, the things I've taught you, Timothy, Timothy, follow them. Christians, we have the scriptures, follow them. Follow them. Know what God's word says about whatever. Don't coast. Don't float. Don't make excuses for why you can't memorize Bible verses or why the only time this book gets open is when you come here on Sunday. Don't. The theme of this story is persevering in our faith. How do I do that? He's already in every part, part one, part two. Now we're in part three of this journey through this book. He's given examples of how we, how we do that. So he says, follow the pattern, the standard, the example of the, of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Right belief matters a lot. It does. Right belief matters a lot. Knowing biblical things matters a lot. But it's not it ends to itself. In fact, he's very clear here. How Timothy goes about maintaining these true beliefs, how he goes about maintaining orthodoxy, is as important as the content of the message of the words itself. Ponder this. Back when I was a seminary student, doing my grad school at Liberty, I remember this guy. Undergrad student. Super smart. He was doing biblical studies or something. So smart. He he knew more as an undergrad. He, he was sharper as an undergrad student than, than I was as a seminary student. And that's not speaking to my wisdom or foolishness or whatever. He's just he was a smart guy. Knew his Bible so well. Like I suppose, maybe the scribes, the legal experts of the book who were Pharisees. But this guy was mean. He was not very patient. He was a jerk. Kind of like those whitewashed tombs Jesus tells us about. Pretty on the outside, ugly on the inside. Man, he, he knew his Bible well. Don't Miss the last phrase. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, which are in Christ Jesus. True belief matters. But how we go about maintaining that belief, following that pattern, that also matters. It matters. The type of attitude you have in the approach to the obedience of verse 13. Are you kind? Are you compassionate toward Non-Christians and maybe immature Christians? This guy was cynical. He had no time. Some of you, you don't know the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism. You don't know covenant theology from dispensationalism. Right now I'm speaking a different language to you. That's okay. It's okay if you do know those things. That's okay too. But how we go about maintaining orthodoxy and true belief matters. I see sometimes the things like people say or post on Facebook, and God's even convicted me of, of such things. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That means for the, the immature Christian in the pew next to me or at in my small group. Do you have that approach with them? Do you have the time for them, the patience for them, and their biblical illiteracy? Or may I diverge and make another application? Maybe they're, I don't know, strangeness to you? Maybe they're strange and their biblical illiteracy. Maybe they're just a strange person. I, I see people who really love the Lord sometimes have just so little patience and love and kindness and compassion to people who maybe are a little different who lack a certain self-awareness or social skills. What an opportunity to pull them up, to disciple them. Not just to to teach them the standard, the pattern that Paul has taught Timothy, but also to help them. Maybe help them in their self-awareness and how they interact with people. It's important that we have a right attitude. It's not enough simply to believe true things. That's great. That's important. But how we maintain those beliefs? With immature Christians or unbelievers? I'm not saying to lay down your sword. I'm not saying that. I think it's important especially in 2017 America when it comes to issues say that are hot Hot topic issues, gender, homosexuality. And it's important that you know what God's Word says. Maybe if you're having a conversation right now, could you come up with, I don't know, two Bible verses that deals with those issues? We need to know what God's Word says. We also need to, in those moments when we have interactions with people, be kind, be compassionate, to remember the last part of verse 13, to remember the last part, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he comes to verse 14, and he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Some of you were like, I knew that was a Bible verse. I knew the Holy Spirit dwells in us. There it is, verse 14. Holy Spirit dwells within us. So guard the good deposit Timothy entrusted to you. Deposit Entrusted, identical words used back in last week's sermon, back in verse 12. But here, they're defined very differently. Very differently is how they're defined. So Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Which, of course, raises the question, well, what's the good deposit? What's this thing that's been de- deposited, that's been entrusted to him? Well, the answer is in the preceding verse. Like I said, you'd like to draw in your Bible, I'd connect that deposit... Back to verse 13. It's the sound words. It's true and right teachings. That's what's been deposited to him. That's what's been entrusted to him. And so he gives Timothy a command. He says, I want you to do this thing. I want you to guard it. But he's not asking Timothy to do, to do something. He's not commanding Timothy to do something that He doesn't have an ability to do. Rather, Paul knows, and this goes back to part one of our series, he knows Timothy's sincere faith. He knows the Holy Spirit dwells in Timothy, and he knows it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he can do this very thing that he's commanding him to do. To hold on to sound words, sound teaching. Guard this good deposit, Timothy. And if you think about it, It's something that we really need to do in the day and age we live in, lest heresy come in a road. I see, with the internet, you see more and more pastor-preacher types losing their nerve, their spine, whatever you want to call it, especially on issues that are becoming more and more unpopular within the church today regarding sexuality and gender. Hold it, Timothy. Guard it, Timothy. Don't let heresy twist it. This is the truth. Hang on to it. And it makes sense. If Paul is, as I said in my opening remarks, in a Roman dungeon, this is the last book, by the way, that he will write before he dies. I imagine he probably knows his life is coming to an end rather quickly. You can see this almost, this passion that Paul has for Timothy, not to sit on the sidelines any longer, to get back into the game, not to coast, not to float, but to persevere in his faith, to almost pick up the torch, carry the torch for Paul in this regard. Timothy, I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting this to you. Hold fast to it, Timothy. But the challenge is this. I am just finished my freshman year at Liberty. I'm back in my home state of Alaska. I'm on Upper Fire Lake in a canoe. And uh, I remember having a conversation with a friend, and I, I said something to the extent, well, listen, I love the Lord. And I, I, I did. I do. But, and I, I know all the fundamentals, I know the basics, but knowing anything beyond that, I don't think it's, it's, it's you know, it's whatever, right? That was, that's essentially what I said. That's a paraphrase. But remember, sitting in that canoe, floating, literally and figuratively, just floating, saying that, well, I, I, I know Jesus died for me on the cross. Like, I know life, death, burial, resurrection. I know gospel, anything else. Like, I I don't have time for that. I have other things to be concerned with. And that's the temptation. The temptation is, well, I have the Holy Spirit, I'm secure, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And so apathy oftentimes sets in. Our zeal for the Lord begins to, to wane. What we believe, eh, it's whatever. It's whatever. The commands of Paul and Timothy drift into oblivion. They become insignificant and increasingly unimportant. That was me right after my freshman year at Liberty. Man, I'm glad God grabbed me and drew me to him more. I don't want to float. Think about that. I'm thinking about what God has done from where I was there in 2006 on that lake to to, to where he's brought me to this day, what he's brought me through to this day. I don't want to float And I said last week, it can happen to a pastor at a church or to a college freshman who's more preoccupied with video games and girls than he even is going to class. Don't float, don't coast. He wants Timothy to persevere in his faith. Timothy, here's how you can do it. The deposit of our lives with God is secure, but the question is, is how secure is the deposit of truth with us? For I imagine some, if not many in here, the deposit of truth with us is not very secure at all. As MacArthur says, many Christians don't have courage of their convictions because they don't have any convictions. They don't know what the Bible says. I grew up in the church my whole life. Can you give me anything other than John 3.16? No, not really. (laughs) To think there's Mormons and Muslims who are more serious about their pagan faith. That's messed up. It is. It's wrong. So we come to verse 15. And he says, Timothy, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. This is what one commentator says is acceptable hyperbole. Timothy lives in Asia. He lives in a major city in Asia, in Ephesus, which is modern day Western Turkey. Timothy has not turned away from him. No reason to believe Timothy's church in Ephesus has turned away from him. So we call this acceptable hyperbole, I think. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus, I'm sure I'm butchering his name, and Hermogenes. I was practicing the sermon the other day in the house, and he said, Did I just hear you say Hermione, like from Harry Potter? I said, No, Hermogenes. Strange names indeed, but don't miss the point. Fagellus and Hermogenes. They've turned away from him. Anybody in here that wants to do ministry? Trick question. Every single hand should be up in the air. I understand there's some of you who want it full time. That's what you want to do. Um, like obviously in a, maybe a, a church setting. But if you're a Christian, your life is God's. It's not your own. It's God's. We don't think of it like that, right? We divorce the two, just like we do the church, right? I'm going to church, as if you can go to church. As if it's just an event. It's not, we are the church. We are the church. Ministry is difficult. Full-time, as a pastor, or whether you're an Air Force pilot doing ministry, witnessing sharing the gospel it's hard very difficult in fact I often tell people if I had to write a book about my experiences these last four or five years chapter one would be appropriate titled discouragement chapter two would also be appropriately titled discouragement it's difficult when your unsafe friends ridicule you, say mean and hateful things, social media or in person, that's hard. It's hard when the world rejects us. It's not fun to be rejected. It's it's not. Like whether you're asking a girl out and she shoots you down, or whether you're sharing the gospel and, and someone just slaps you in the face, maybe literally or figuratively. It's not fun to be rejected. Paul tells Timothy back last week, you remember in part 2, in verse 8. You remember what he says back in verse 8? Share in suffering for the gospel. Share in suffering. Now here's a guy essentially on death row in a dungeon saying, Share in suffering. Imagine a Sia Bibi who's on death row in a Pakistani prison right now says, Share in suffering with me. I don't know share in suffering? I don't know. That's tough. It's tough when the world rejects us for the sake of the gospel. Not fun, unpleasant. It is even more difficult when people who claim to love the Lord reject us, turn their backs on us. Walk away from us. Poor Paul. This is unpleasant. So jealous Hermogenes, he just lists two. There's more. You want to do ministry, whether it's like in a full-time vocational sense or, or whatever, which should be every one of us as a Christian? Man, get ready to share in suffering. The hard things, hard sayings. Heartbreaking. Here's apparently two guys Paul has invested in, loved, poured into, discipled, who've just turned away from him, walked away. And I think, why mention these two guys? Apparently it was common knowledge. They knew, like Timothy knew, even in Ephesus, that he knew about Phagellus, he knew about Hermogenes. But why, why mention them specifically out of many others, perhaps? And John MacArthur reasons that they were, these two guys, probably very close to Paul. Possibly they were, they were leaders who, who showed great promise. They probably would have been the very last ones ever suspected of turning away from Paul. Paul's, for all intents and purposes, has discipled them, have loved them, have poured into them, and they just abandon him and and leave him. Like, I mean, it stinks being where he's at in this Roman dungeon and then to have people that you've loved. Man, difficult. And yet, it's not uncommon. I think for anyone who gets ready to, as he says in verse 8, to share in suffering you experience and will experience, jealous and Hermogenes, like individuals who turn their backs and check out and leave. It's happened to me. It's happened to Paul. It's happened to I'm sure some of you. It's heartbreaking. It it it, it sometimes feels just devastating, like a, a death or a breakup. Or it's hard. You can feel perhaps the tone that, that Paul has as he writes these words. Think about the theme of this story, persevering in faith despite suffering. Despite suffering. To the extent that they have turned away from Paul, we do not know whether it was just a, a personal thing with him or whether perhaps it was because they were ashamed or it's getting more and more unpopular to be a Christian, or whatever the reason, or to the extent of them turning away, it's, it's unclear. You want to live a godly life? Strap in. Be prepared to share in suffering, as Paul has. He, he, he's not trying to be like a used car salesman to timothy and and somehow only talk about the benefits of following christ and then leave out the 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 difficulties he's not like that he's like listen i'm being up front with you timothy persevering in the faith is hard being a christian is hard it's really hard and so we come to verse 16. And he says this, May the Lord grant mercy on the household of first for he has refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Verse 18, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus talk a little bit about verse 18 i'll go back to 16 and 17 may the lord grant him to find mercy <clears throat> from the lord on that day that's not a prayer here but rather an acknowledgement that even someone like onisphorus who's very different than phygelus and Hermogenes, even someone who is posted here in these verses as a great example even onisphorus has only God's mercy on that day. On that day refers to the second advent when Christ comes to judge the world. Even someone like Onesiphorus only only has God's mercy on that day. There's nothing else he can bank on. And so we see Phygelus and Hermogenes and then we see this other character, Onesiphorus who is completely the opposite in every way of these other two guys. Onesphorus, who has refreshed Paul on more than just one occasion. Onesphorus, who apparently at some other occasion back in Ephesus where Timothy would have been fully aware of, had, had just been such a help, such a blessing, such an encouragement to Paul. As Paul encourages Timothy to persevere in the faith, He points to real-life examples. Real-life examples. Be like that guy. You're already aware of Fagellus and Hermogenes. Don't be like them. Be like Onesiphorus. He refreshes my soul. He's done so on more than just one occasion. The reference to, He searched for me. Searched for me earnestly and found me. Apparently, wherever Paul is at in Rome right now, it's not super easy to find him. This is a little inconvenient for Onesiphorus. It's not like, oh, I'm going to prayer group. They're right across the hall. I'm here on the hall anyways. I can't leave. I'll just go. Like For Onesiphorus, it's difficult. It's hard. Paul wants Timothy to be like him. To be that sort of example. You want to persevere in your faith? Hold fast. The teachings of scripture know what the Bible says. If you simply rely upon your soul-satisfying hunger to be quenched Sundays at 4.30, you will be found quite malnourished. You need more than that. You need God's word. You need God. You need other believers. You do. You know, one of the reasons I I always encourage people, hey, I've got a small group at my house, Tuesday and Wednesday night, I want you to come. I really want you to come. I know, there's reasons you can't come. I I talk to people and say, well, I've got a busy semester. You know, I'm on this intramural sports team, so that kind of prevents me. But next semester, well, that intramural sports team will be done, or I won't have that many credits then, or, or that'll, you know, I won't be working this job, so I'll have, you know, more time, it'll be more convenient. I'll be honest, it never will be more convenient to persevere in your faith, it it never will. Because you'll go from being a freshman to sophomore and the sophomores will tell the freshmen it gets harder and the juniors will tell the sophomores it gets harder and the seniors will tell the juniors it gets more difficult and the grad students will tell the seniors it gets more difficult and the people who are married, the people that have kids, the people who have uh, insurance and phone bills and different things to pay and have jobs, they'll say, it gets hard, it doesn't get easier, it doesn't get more convenient. Some of you, you're waiting for the stars to align before you start persevering in your faith. You will be waiting forever. You will. It's not convenient to persevere in the faith. Look at Onisperus. He had to search earnestly for him. Have you seen Paul? I'm looking for Paul. Have you seen Paul? I'm looking for Paul. Persevere in your faith, Timothy. And here's a great example. One of the reasons I, I emphasize, especially the co-ed small groups at my house, is because the church is not made up of 18 to 21-year-old dudes or 18 to 21-year-old girls. It's not. He says, Timothy, look, here's an example. Onesiphorus oh, is a great example. Now, the church is made up of both men and women at different stages of their life. That's, that's why I emphasize small group, because we need each other. We need Onesphoruses to look at as examples. We have enough Figeleus and Hermogenes. We need Onesphoruses to be like, to strive toward, to be an example to us so that we can be an example to others. Paul knows his life is coming to an end. He doesn't need his young protege, who's a pastor, Coasting or floating in his faith any longer. He needs them in the game. He needs him persevering in the faith. And he knows that he may no longer be an example much longer with execution imminent. So he says, here's a guy you can look at. Here's a guy that is a great example who is encouraging and refreshing and helpful, not just when it's convenient. Not just when it's convenient. You know, when it comes to the gathering of the saints, we don't gather Sundays or Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever night, midweek. We don't gather because it's convenient. Ah, think I should go. You think you should go? Do you only go for yourself? Are you gathered simply here right now for your own benefit? What a selfish thought. No, we we gather because we're a family with different gifts. We talked about that last week. With different gifts. And the gifts are not for ourselves, but the gifts are for the edification of the believers sitting in pews in front of you and behind you. Do you not know that? You want to persevere in your faith? You need to know that. You need to know the Bible. You need to follow the standard, the pattern that Paul passed down to Timothy that's been passed down through us in this book. You need to know Bible. You need to look for people in different stages of life like Onesiphorus. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but you need to look at those examples and be like those people so that you can be that example. Paul's life is coming to an end. He wants Timothy to raise the banner. He wants him to guard the good deposit and trust to him. Because the enemy knocks at our walls every day, trying to distort the truth and twist it. And so many of us are so, so not prepared to defend it because we do not know it. So many of us simply have no convictions because we don't even know where to begin. We don't know the Bible. There's a million reasons why not. There always is. There's always a reason not to persevere in your faith, regardless of the application, whether it's reading your Bible or showing up on Sunday or gathering in the middle of the week. There's always a million reasons not to persevere in your faith. They're very easy to find. But persevering in the faith is not an easy thing. Especially in lieu of suffering or, for many of us, inconvenience. Busyness. Oh, that we might be like Onesiphorus. The type of person that's thinking of others before themselves. That's going to great ends and great lengths to refresh and encourage other people. We need that. Why? Because there's suffering going on all the time. Like, you want to live a godly life? Be prepared to suffer. And so, we need to be and strive to be like Ones for us. It is a great example of how one can persevere in their faith. Jesus, help us. It is a difficult thing, Lord. It's much easier to be like Phagellus and Hermogenes. Much easier. But we don't want to be like Phagellus and Hermogenes. We want to be like Onesiphorus, who refreshed Paul's soul. God, I pray that we would be filled less with excuses and more with how can I persevere in my faith type thoughts? God, this is hard. Help us, protect us from floating in our faith, from just coasting, from being on the sidelines. Help us to persevere. Help us to know your word, to know it well, and to hold fast to it, but with love and kindness. And help us, Jesus, to be an example for others. That we might love you by obedience, especially when it comes to making disciples. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen.